Life is hectic, demanding, and doesn't stop. When honest with ourselves, we must confess we often don't know what the hell we're doing. The LARCast is an ongoing conversation about the inclusive and mischievous nature of God's presence through the lens of all the things that make up this phenomenon we refer to as life. Astonishing grace and refreshing honesty collide right here for your weekly encouragement. The Lark Cast. Uh, my name's Tony, and with me is Jameson. Tony and Jameson. The last time I think we did this this duo for the Lark Cast was, um, I think, on the dishing on deconstruction. But here we are, bro. Me and you yeah, back at it. Hello. What's up? Good morning. It's been too long. It has been too long. Of course, it's morning when we're recording. I don't know when anyone else is <laughs> listening to this, but I just want to give a big shout out to all the Larks who are tuning in. Thank you for your ongoing support of the LarkCast and also your engagement. Um, man, we love um, when people reach out. Well, some people. There's others who reach out. Um, and um, yeah, some with... Uh, um, some with good, good, honest questions. We always love the honest wrestlings for sure. I still like getting yelled at over an email, <laughs> you know, that's my thing is, uh, <laughs> I don't like getting yelled at over an email. <laughs> yeah, definitely. The all caps letters and the very long paragraphs <laughs> and endless scripture citations are, man, that's a rough thing to read. <laughs> dude it is it is and i just you know um yeah i just don't i just don't have the energy for it you know anymore i'm 42 i'm kind of like really confident and in some of the things that you know i've my heart's anchored itself to and in all my my shifts and all my all my changes and just it's it's the simple things you know um i'll never leave you and never forsake you um, just, I love you. I find myself a lot of times and I'm just like, all right, Lord, like I just need to hear from you. I feel like consistently for the last seven years, all I've heard is just, I love you, man. I love you. Mm. Keep going. Yeah. And I'm like, that seems, <laughs> that seems pretty consistent with his heart. <laughs> <clears throat> it seems pretty consistent. I would say even with stories I'm hearing from other people, um, the ones are press who are pressing in and asking the hard questions and not just taking everything that's handed to them. I hear exactly what you just said a lot. And I think mm. that's a really encouraging yeah. thing trend. Yeah, for sure. Well, it's like, you know, for me, it's like when you, you know, you're, you're steeped in, you know, a certain brand of theology. And then some of those pieces begin to kind of like, crumble and then it's eventually kind of like the whole house of cards you know comes down it's like what what do you really have you know at that point and for me it was just like man seeing how you know good news was actually good and it was actually news that's all that's pretty much all i can say how good news was actually the goodness of the good news how good it is and that it's actually news. Mm -hmm. I could that, yep. that that could be the summary statement for me, um, in all my in all my my shifting. I don't know how we got here. I got very reflective 
in the first <laughs> couple minutes here, Jameson. How did that I know. happen? Usually I'm coming with the jokes and keeping it light. And all of a sudden I'm on here like reflecting on my. Decon- oh, I, I mentioned dishing on deconstruction. That's how we got. Yeah. Yes. Yep. That and when you receive <clears throat> various criticisms, you know, that can just really in a good way helps you think more. But also sometimes it makes you a little self-conscious. <laughs> You're like, wait a second. Yeah. Um, remembering the things that got me here are important. Mm-hmm. Remembering the things that changed my life forever. Yeah. I don't forget that stuff. It's yeah. Beautiful. A hundred percent. Like the time I met Jesus in the year 2000 in a black Ford Ranger driving down 231, which is a road where I live <laughs> heading westbound. That happened. Mm-hmm. And we're about to, uh, we're about to dive into a story where some other people met Jesus. He revealed himself to them in a certain way. Yeah, dude. John chapter 20. The chapter down here. The chapter where the gospel of John talks about the resurrection of Jesus. Um, And just so at the outset, we don't step forward in the wrong foot. <laughs> like I have to say, because we're talking about the resurrection, like we've got to keep in mind, this is the event that scandalized everything and everybody. And in a way, again, right? The crucifixion was unthinkable, (laughs) scandalous. Uh, But the resurrection means that the guy who was crucified lives that is the central thing you say if Christianity is your thing, if following Jesus is what you believe or whatever. It's trusting that the man who was dead, who is Jesus, who is one with the unchanging God, figure that one out, is now alive. Yeah. That's it. That's the gospel. Like he's alive and in his aliveness after death. So are you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't, <laughs> we're think, talking, <laughs> uh, I don't think these, these, these Pharisees thought it was going to play out exactly like this. No, I don't think so. I don't think anybody did. And I mean, that verse in here is a little bit haunting. Uh, verse nine in chapter 20. He says, till this moment, they had still not understood the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Hmm. And apparently they're starting to wrap their minds around it. But man, it's this is the I love it. I think that talking about the resurrection should always. We shouldn't get too familiar with the idea as if it's just another thing in the Bible, like. Like, no, this is the thing that Jesus reveals himself to us in a way that completely blows our minds. And he astonished every single person that saw him. And that is the testimony that lit up the church. Yeah. (laughs) From, from nothing. Yep. And because I think we, there's a familiarity with these things. 
because we stand, you know, a good number of years away from the events. And as we were kind of texting and talking pre-show, you were like, man, I really want to like capture what, what they were feeling like in, in that moment. I mean, you have Mary weeping inside of an empty tomb. Mm. You have the disciples following, you know, um, those who brought them there inside the empty tomb, like still trying to like, you know, figure it out. It says they even went back to their homes. You know, they didn't set up lawn chairs right outside, you know, this, this tomb. Um, they didn't start tailgating. There's no tailgating outside the tomb, man, you know, in great anticipation of, you know, this victory, um, in which they were going to, you know, then sing seven worship songs, all pre-written about the resurrection. It wasn't in the cards. Yeah. It wasn't in the cards at all. It wasn't even in the framework. Like there was no place to file this idea that someone would be resurrected in the middle of human history in their theological brains or just their, just as just people and friends of Jesus. So we take it for granted. There's a familiarity there for sure. Yep. It should never stay there, right? It's like, that's where we're at. And I think that's okay for us to experience the familiarity and even get used to it or whatever. <laughs> but I I love just taking a moment like this and saying, dude, you've never seen or heard anything like this. No one ever has, no one ever will. And the whole existence of the world is bound up in that moment. Uh, the promise as the guy, one of the guys I've been studying in, in prep for this and in general, his name's Robert Jensen. He's like, the promise is that the future, <clears throat> like this is the future happening right in front of your eyes. What is happening to Jesus is what Jesus is promising is is happening to you and will happen to you, not might. He's, he's very clear about using the word will. And so, and just for the record, if you haven't heard of Robert Jensen, he has passed away as of, I don't know, about five or 10 years ago. I can't remember exactly, but he was named by Stanley Hauerwas, like America's greatest theologian. <laughs> I call him so Bobby he's not, J. Yeah, personally. he's he's not some random. Anyways, this this conversation in John, I think, is is stunning. It's like these stories here at the end of the book too are they are so narrative focused. It's like this happened, and then this happened, and this conversation happened. Um, and so it leads me to ask the author, John, like, why is this in this book this way? Mm. And I don't have like a clear run down answer exactly of that. But I think for our conversation, that's an important thing to keep in mind. Like, what's the author doing? Because John doesn't write like all the other gospels, as we've said many times in the last almost 50 episodes going through the gospel of John, like John wrote probably 20 to 30 years later than everybody else. He's got a way more theological style and a lot more art artistry. Um, and so you have Mary showing up and then she runs back and then there's a race that happens. <laughs> and the one disciple 
definitely got there faster than Peter is what it says. Um, yeah. What was all that language? Like he's like not trying to, is he referring to himself? <laughs> uh, I, the most it's scholars, all, we gets all weird with it. Like what's going on? I mean, he's a little faster. He just needed that to be in there that, and most scholars think it's John. Some have made the case that this, the disciple Jesus loved guy that shows up is Lazarus. Yeah. Which is interesting because Lazarus. I've heard arguments that Lazarus wrote the gospel of John. That'd be cool. Yeah. Who knows? But he never says a word like in all the gospels, the man Lazarus never says a single word ever. Right. He's the only character in the whole scripture who's so explicitly named like he's got a name. Very few of the people Jesus heals were given a name, right? We are given the name. Lazarus is. And then there's the Lazarus in the parable with uh, like he's the poor man who goes to whatever. That's a rabbit trail. I'm not going to go down, yeah. but the the, yeah, the reality is <laughs> if that's Lazarus and it's it doesn't make a huge difference, I guess, but this guy knew about resurrection. <laughs> this yeah. guy's aware of what's going on. And the other interesting connection that in the gospel of John, like the, the words matter. Lazarus came out of the tomb completely wrapped. And it explicitly says his hands and his feet were feet wrapped were in his head. Mm. Now, when Jesus is, spoken of here it says in verse six he peter went into the tomb and saw the linen cloths lying on the ground and also the cloth that had been over his head this was not with the linen cloths but rolled up in a place by itself why so many words about such an inconsequential detail sure and i don't know the answer i didn't find any answers but I had one thought. Lazarus came out. It said he had his head completely wrapped. Jesus said to everybody else, unbind him. It was a command. Right? Jesus has apparently left the binding in the tomb. Lazarus was raised to life, but not in the same way Jesus was, right? Right. Um, Lazarus was raised to die one more time. Right. And to his still broken human existence. Yeah. Jesus uh, was raised as the first fruits. Yep. Is it possible that first John's... fruits, brah? <laughs> what y'all know about that? Fruits. What y'all know about them first fruits? <laughs> I don't know if there's anything to that, but it's like, is it is it possible? It's an interesting detail. Is it possible that the the burial bondages represent the religious attempt to escape, like to 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 get what we need to do what needs to be done, and Jesus leaves them buried, leaves them in the tomb, and he leaves the tomb. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's just extremely different than than what Lazarus did. 
And Jesus, yeah, his promise is that command, like unbind him. (laughs) That's the role of the church in a way, right? Like we unbind Mm -hmm. each other because we can see you still have the bandages over your eyes. You can't even see where you're going. Um, I don't know. That connected a lot, you know, for the stuff we've been learning with like Baxter Kruger and other theologians like Bart and whatnot, but something's going on there. It's just a detail, but, uh, when I love John, John's detail, cause even getting into John 21, you know, it talks about like the disciples all went back to their old vocations as fishermen. Jesus meets them on the shore. I can't wait to get into that one. John mentions how many fish they caught 153. And that's just kind of John, you know, he's kind of like very detail oriented, which led CS Lewis to say just about the literary nature of the gospels that, sort of like this sort of like detailed fictional writing wasn't even around like, yeah, it's commonplace now to have, you know, fictional novels and stories with a lot of detail and character development. But back then fiction read like big, broad kind of like lore, you know, strokes and stuff. Um, And, you know, just the, the, the detail, you know, about that. I think too, like just leaving it, like folding it up is just very like intentional. Like he didn't waste his, he didn't like rush out of there, which connects to something that I really connect with in the story. There's a slowness about Jesus here, especially as he reveals himself. He's not like, as soon as he gets out of the tomb, you know, he's not like a kid, you know, racing to the front door to show their parent, you know, the A they got on the math test, Mm -hmm. you know, there's, there's a slowness even to the point where he's hiding himself from Mary initially and he's, he, he guises himself in the form of a gardener who's just kind of around and even has this kind of interaction before he finally, you know, reveals himself. And it's one of the, it's one of the coolest, it's one of the things I more appreciate about how God operates but it's also a very frustrating thing as well for those of us who really want to see our loved ones and our friends come alive in this good news is why God is slow and why he opts for hiddenness. Like, what is it about his love for hiddenness? I mean, even in some of the parables, you have a treasure, you know, the treasure that's hidden in the field early in John, He's, he's arguing with the um, the Pharisees. You know, he prays out loud. Um, God, I thank you that you've you've hidden this from the wise, you know, from the, from the scholars, from these knuckleheads here, but you've revealed them, revealed this to babes, to little ones, um, to the least, the last, you know, the little and the dead. Um, but yeah, what... God opts for hiddenness and slowness. He's not quick to do anything. He lets it really like play out. And in your story, if you, if your story's like mine and that, when you really sit down with people in their, in their stories, it's like, man, they'll recount like years of interactions and moments, you know, coming to understand, you know, what God is, is really like. He allows for a lot of foolishness in our lives, even a lot of hurt and a lot of pain. Um, 
and which connects to, you know, just a lot of things that we've talked about with incarnation. God's the God of what is not what ought to be. Um, he's with us through all these, like, you know, just these silly moments, you know, where we believe silly yep. things and treat people in certain ways. I was just talking to Pam last night and we were just talking about the difficulty of ministry and marriage, you know, in our story. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember back in the day when I was pastoring, there was, um, good morning to that little one. Um, and there was a guy who he was an old pastor, dude. You could tell like, he kind of like lost his church, lost his ministry. He was like a little discouraged, started showing up on Sundays and just sitting in the back. And I've always had an eye for like, you know, those kind of people sitting back there. And I eventually got to hear his story and he was just like, yeah, man, like got beat up in ministry, like this and that. And, you know, used to have a church and, you know, I'm married. My wife doesn't come with me, you know, to church anymore. She's kind of doing her thing at this place and I'm doing mine, you know, over here. I just judge that dude so hard. Like, dang, bro. Like, why are you not going to church with your, with your wife? You know? Mm -hmm. And like, you just don't like being 42 now and understanding, you know, just the strain that, you know, ministry and reaching out to people and doing that thing and have on a marriage or, you know, just how people change and shift, you know, over the years, all that to say, man, just the slowness and the hiddenness of God and how he reveals himself over a very long period of time to people it's a frustrating thing but i have to i have to agree that it's a beautiful thing because it's how he's choosing to do it right and nothing that comes from him is not good so sometimes i find myself honestly like why why have you chosen to do it this way totally and i think in addition to that it's what you end up being able to see in light of that is He's comfortable with it. And we're definitely yes. not, right? Like God is God and Jesus in the spirit. They do not appear concerned about how long it's taking us to wake up to reality. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this story, like that's such a good observation because at one point there's a week in between appearances, right? And I'm like, in this moment, that had to feel like eternity. Sure. Sure. And were there no other appearances? Well, I don't know. Maybe there were. The ones that needed to be recorded were recorded. But Jesus is not in a hurry, and he's not anxiously trying to get a thing done or to get us to start doing a thing. Mm-hmm. Like he's, he's very clearly unhurried, <laughs> and he's yes. okay. And I think that's a picture of our messiah that we could really stand to re- like retrieve and remember and spend a lot of time <clears throat> just sitting in that and saying okay yeah. if the one that my entire whatever you're going to call it religion or faith or church if everything i believe in is based on this guy well he's he's not running around like a chicken with his head cut off trying to no. to bring the kingdom mm-hmm. in fact the ancient orthodox belief about the resurrection is that that was that was the conclusion of the future (laughs) 
it wasn't just the moment there it was like everything is held in this yeah the one who is life and in him like at the beginning of john in him is life yeah so john is putting this is a little bit of a theological concept but it's so important for us right here this is like chapter one verse three of john's Mm -hmm. gospel through him everything came into existence and being but in him is life so he's putting life inside Mm -hmm. of the word the word who was with the father and was god and all of these things this is what happens when life dies life himself who in whom all life is dies so that we can be raised to life with him Mm -hmm. i think that's just like the thing that needed to be accomplished is done. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you can't change it. You can't take it back. Um, And he, again, he hit it and snuck it in, in the foolishness, um, the irreverence of death. um and there's a there's a lot a lot there but yeah in him was life and his life was the light of light of men Mm -hmm. and it's like i think some people think like oh well jesus is kind of like a part of the thing like how systematic theology books read you open it up and there's like all these like doctrinal kind of categories and then you get into jesus and the hypostatic union and all that and then you move on to like some of these other things like he's kind of like a piece of it all Instead of like the whole freaking thing, you know? Yeah. Um, And that's kind of what I hear you saying. I think that that's kind of what I was alluding to, you know, early on with my, if you want to call it, if you want to call it deconstruction, just some rethinking of some things and, and shifting. And really there was a lot of things that I, I found a lot of um, comfort in having some eyes dotted, some T's crossed, a position in the church and all that. And like what that mean for my faith, what that meant for my faith and my story. And, you know, there's a lot of things I was really grabbing onto. And when those things shift and move and you begin to opt for ministry, that's really not understood, you know, by the institution and by people who were raised and formed in the institution, a lot of things begin to strip away and it really kind of like, it gets you down to the bottom. It gets you down to the bottom of who you really are and who God really is. And really, man, like what I found down there is just the simplicity of Jesus himself, his life, death, and resurrection. The declaration that it is finished, you know, John 19. Um, The fact that he, you know, has been raised and in his body as the head of all, you know, humanity, he's brought us along along with him. So just anchoring myself, you know, to just Jesus of Nazareth, his life, death and resurrection and, you know, his words. But I think that there's, there's something else that's kind of analogous to something that we talk a lot about here on the Larkcast. We talk about this, this gospel, this good news as a reality, Mm -hmm. not like the potential of something good. Um, So I think in my former framework, it was like, well, Jesus lived, died and rose again for the potential reality that you might have forgiveness or the love of God 
or this resurrection life. Um, but notice this exchange in the, with the disciples and Mary. They're clueless as to what's going on and certainly clueless as to the, the significance, like the cosmic eternal significance of what's, of what's happening. But the fact is, is that it's true. It just happened in time and space. Um, irregardless of Mary's ability to see it, grab onto it, or even know who the gardener is. And so this whole entire time you have this thing going on, the disciples are going back to their home. They're wrestling with like, what does it all mean? Right. But the true reality of everything has already taken place. It's already done. And so here's Mary the reality of the resurrection, the reality of it is finished, the reality of this good news is coming into full scope for John's readers. And she's completely clueless to it. Doesn't understand it. Certainly hasn't grabbed onto it by faith yet. And yet her inability to see it or even her lack of faith or the not yetness of her faith does not change the fact that he has just walked out of the tomb and something cosmic has happened. And so there's an objective way that God has saved the world, yes. not, not potentially saved the world, right? not potentially reconciled all things, but there is an objective way in the person of Jesus that he has rescued and reconciled the world to himself. And please don't mishear us. We do believe there is a subjective embracing of this, right? Which you could even call that in and of itself a salvation or an awakening or your own, you know, your own personal reconciliation when you awaken to that thing, because it feels new and it feels fresh and it feels like a reality for the first time. But make no mistake, the whole reality of this hinges not on your ability to understand it or believe it, but on him who was sent by the father to do what he was sent to do. That is the anchoring point. That is the reality that we're talking about here. And we place so much emphasis on faith and belief and our subjective ability to grab onto it. And I think what we do is we minimize what God has done uh, and the reality, you know, that is. Yep. <clears throat> and it's a false step in logic and theology and biblical exposition to then say, yeah, but my faith is the evidence that I've really believed. That's not actually what the text says. That's not actually what the scriptures reveal. Um, and when we sit in the gospels, especially, and we look at them asking the question, what is God really like? <laughs> and based on that, what does that mean about what we are really like and what are how we're actually going to end up in this story. You, you cannot anchor any of that on our sufficiency or not of faith, our sufficiency or not of obedience, our sufficiency or not of evidencing the fact that we have faith. Um, I think it's so important, like what you said, to put those into a subjective category because in John 14, 9, Jesus says, because I live, you will live. <laughs> uh, 
that little like phrase to me it just it just puts it right there man like that's the that's true that's what it is because i live you will live Mm -hmm. that is not conditional and i what i really want to say and i've been trying to clarify this in my own mind so i can say it there's no potentiality in the gospel there's nothing incomplete there's nothing yet to be completed like and i would i think that there you there are no it is not the gospel if it is not yet finished if you're proclaiming something that is not finished it is not the gospel that you're proclaiming and say it this way gospels that don't start out true they're not the gospel they're not jesus the gospel in christ starts out true finished it's the reality. It's the thing we're waking up to, not the thing we are enacting. Mm-hmm. Um, and the resurrection is so absurd and miraculous and mysterious. And I think that in part helps to sever the ties between our doing something to get it or not. <laughs> right. Because we can, like if we're if a human body is dead that's it that's all it can do is be dead <laughs> and we're called dead so much in the scriptures and especially in paul right like we're dead and we were dead and well in second corinthians it says when he died all died and there's another one of those alls that you just have to to circle and highlight in your bibles because I think I think we overlook them and we water them down or we actually make them mean less than all. All died. And so the implication is what happens to Christ has necessarily happened to us. Hmm. Because again, if he's the one in whom we live and move and have our being, and if he's the one who holds all things together, as in Colossians 1, and in John chapter 1, if he's the one through whom everything came into being and then john doubles down and says not one thing that has come into being came into being outside of him then that means if he goes down to death well everything that exists is in him and went down into death as well which means that resurrection that he experienced includes all of us yeah yep and i think i really do I I understand the wrestling of of what we're saying. Mm-hmm. And I think in a certain framework like everything hinges on everything hinges on faith. Believing and not believing. And the scripture is pretty clear about what happens, you know, to those who just they refuse to, you know, believe. And it's it really paints it in such a way where it's not like Oh, well, you didn't, you didn't get it. Like you didn't really like understand. So you're, you're out. And it's like, no, I, I really do. I do believe that, um, God is not a static God. I think he's overall and in all as the scriptures say. And I think that he's in the revealing business. I think he's very active in all of our lives all my neighbors' lives um, to subtly, and maybe even you could say in a hidden way, reveal himself. 
And so in my mind, unbelief and belief aren't really these like um, kind of like small moments, you know, throughout our story. Like, yeah, you know, like when I was 19, um, I heard a friend talking about, you know, Jesus and the possibility of forgiveness. And I was just like, eh, that kind of sounds religious, man. I don't know if that's for me. And that was like the first time that I didn't believe. And then it was like, well, when I'm like 34, then again, I had like another coworker and then like, he said some stuff about God and I was like, eh, I, you know, I, I don't know, man. Right. And like these major, like five year gaps between these, like, you know, interactions, if God is not a static God and he's in the, he's in the business of just like constantly revealing himself, it's constantly at, at work in our head and in our hearts and in our lives, this belief and unbelief. This thing they're saying, like, yeah, I might, I'm, 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 I'm agreeing with this, or I'm open to this, or I'm learning in this, or like, I'm just like, my heart is hard, and I don't want anything to do with that. And that was my story as a young man. Mm -hmm. I'm like, God was constantly reaching out to me, and I would just suppress it, suppress it, just want nothing to do with it. I just wanted my own control, my own autonomy. It expressed itself for my story in rebellious ways, not necessarily religious ways we've gotten into, you know, that. Yep. And I understand, I understand why someone would struggle with what we're saying that objectively God has reconciled the world and, um, that faith is a very subjective thing, but it doesn't, it doesn't make the thing less true, <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. And, and um, so, so I get it. And there is, there is a tension there and that's where we get, you know, the label of, you know, universalism and, you know, all those kinds of things, but it's not heresy to say that, um, God did something definitively in Christ. And even if you never existed in this life, it still would be true. Yep. It's, this is a freaking Santa Claus, dude. He doesn't yeah. gain or lose power based on right like the people's grabbing onto him or not. I'm referencing elf, right? Totally. Like, Hey, we need well, more people to start singing in the park. So my sleigh will freaking go. Yep. It's also not like the force in star Wars. It's also not like electricity for your lights. Like it's not like any of these things. It's way more elemental. It's way more actually part of you and never won't be. And so that awakening language is so critical because, I mean, look at the whole gospel of John, man. I mean, if you, the things we've been seeing is from day one, from chapter one, verse one, John is basically reorienting what everyone sees as God. And I, I love it. I mean, it really is the question, what is God like? Who is God in light of that? who are we? <laughs> mm -hmm. And John is adamant to reveal that he's not number one. He's not like what we thought. Um, mm -hmm. he's, he's known and then brutally murdered for hanging out with tax collectors and sinners eating with them. I mean, that's like one of the inceptional accusations against the one in whom all life is yeah this man it's, eats with and receives sinners yes and i think 
Okay, so a lot of us have heard of C.S. Lewis, right? It's it. Or we're brushing up against our time, by the way. Let this be my last thought. We've all heard of C.S. Lewis. The guy that C.S. Lewis was mentored by and respected pro- probably more than anybody, his name is George MacDonald. And George MacDonald says this, the refusal to look up to God as our father is the one central wrong in the whole human affair. Now let that sink in for a second because it's, to me, that is what the gospel of John is about. Jesus is face to face with the father. Jesus says he's the only one who knows and has seen the father. Jesus says the father is in him. Jesus is at going to lengths we've never imagined to show us the father. And when, when you get to this chapter and you see Jesus, Mary, it's me. (laughs) She's like, Oh my God. Like, and she literally says, I have seen the Lord. (laughs) Yeah. And I just like John's language here. He says, makes Jesus or quotes Jesus saying, I am ascending to my father and your father Mm -hmm. to my God and your God. Yes. These are objective realities. Mm -hmm. And because the next thing that happens is that moment where you see father, son, and spirit all in one tiny moment, right? And Jesus says, peace be with you. He shows up to the room with a door closed and he says, peace be with you as the father sent me. So I am sending you. Mm-hmm. And after saying this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy spirit. Jesus is not putting steps into place. He's enacting something. He's revealing that you are involved necessarily in Mm -hmm. the eternal communion that the father has with the son in the spirit. And when we let that be true and stop trying to make it true, we will then enjoy the reality that our faith helps us see (laughs) that. Yeah. It's like, think about, like you said at the very beginning, you love me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Think about how like burdened we are to help people get it. That usually when we're in John 20, we go to the whole like the Thomas thing. Like like that, mm-hmm. like that's the featured, you know, moment. Yes. Right. In, you know, John 20. And I think, I think Jesus understands how fickle um our our faith is. Like he does, he takes some time to help him like really, truly understand like the dude is literally standing in the room, dude, (laughs) you know, and they're seeing him with their eyes, but he goes a step further. Like, man, place your hand here, you know, feel this, touch this. And it's like, dude, like, like to place your faith in your faith. Yeah. Or to make, and I understand Paul makes such a big deal about faith because he's fighting, right? This idea that it's, you know, performance or works or like whatever. And so he's constantly talking about, you know, faith and he's connecting faith to um, salvation, right? But faith, faith hasn't saved anybody. 
faith is only as good as its object, man. Yes. So in a certain sense, you could say your faith has saved you because if faith is intrinsically connected to its object, well, then that's true. Yes. Jesus has saved us. So your faith in him has saved you. Yes. A hundred percent. We agree, you know, with that. And we're not sitting here saying, you know, that, you know, like Rob Bell, that God applies the Christ mechanism, you know, to whatever faith you have or like whatever this thing is or whatever. Like we're talking about Jesus of Nazareth here, man. We're talking about a one way that God has showed and revealed himself to the world. Once so, for yeah. all. If anything <laughs> yeah. you say about the gospel negates once for all, it is not the gospel. <laughs> Period. That's a good way of saying so, it. All of that said, I agree with you. We still have to stop erasing that line from our Bibles. It's got to mess with your head. You have to let it. If it messes with your head, that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's messing with my head because yeah, no, that means that these other sure. people over there in my life, they're part of that all. Yes. And many times I can't fit that through my skull. I just have a hard time believing that Packers fans are involved in all this. For real. The religiosity. I mean, it's a cult up there, dude. Well, it's their whole cult. It's dude. If the Packers went away, Green Bay would be the saddest place on on earth. Would it exist? It has no, it's like (laughs) they have, they have HVAC companies named after the Packers. (laughs) Yes. It's like they have no imagination or creativity outside of the Packers. Like, oh, what are we gonna name this cheese place? Oh, it's Packers Cheese. Oh, I have a moving company. What's this one called? Packers Moving. It never ends. It just never ends. It's like it's everything. It's just it's sad. It's sad. Um I mean, it's not, glad sad. It's, not sad. it's not sad as the, the Bears wreck. No, 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 no. Don't, don't go there. <laughs> just just hold strong, Tony. We have the number one pick in the draft. We're coming. We're coming back, baby. We're, We're coming, coming next year. Next coming. year. Oh, it's going to be our year. That, es- that escalated <laughs> quickly. All right. We're done. We're done. That's here. good. We're just done here. You're done. Bye. Amen, Cheers. Dude. What do we, what Cheers. We have to do? Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.